So we're in Psalms 23, and it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. That part gets me so much. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God, that you would just let that set the tone and the atmosphere of what we're about to do today. But Daniel, Pastor Daniel started this series off um, for, for two weeks in a row, and it was beautiful representation of a picture of who God is, the all-sustaining one, that everything we need, we find in him. Everything that we need in order to go to follow the call that he's called us on, he is everything. He lacks nothing, therefore we lack nothing. And then he followed that in week two by saying real rest, completion and provision to do what we need to do, not what is in our hands, but what is in our hearts, that we come out to do the things that God has called us to do out of an abundance of rest. God said, rest first and then go. Not go through the hustle of the week and the busyness of life and, oh, I can't wait to get to the weekend because I can just have a day to myself and just, like, do nothing. No, no, out of abundance of rest, we go and we do things that God's called us to do. And then Craig spoke last week about the comfort that Jesus is with you in all seasons, protecting us. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. He is with us. And all through those weeks, we walk through an image of sheep and shepherd, of guide and follower, and today we're going to transition into host and guest. But while still remaining connected in the whole chapter, and it may not seem like it because it appears like we're done with the sheep thing, we're kind of moving on from that, um, but as we start to look deeper in this verse, you will see the similarities in poetic imagery that still connects us to the fact that we are sheep who are solely and dependent on our shepherd who comes and cares for every need that we have and watches over us and prepares for us and will give everything for us. We come into verse 5 as travelers. We've gone through some things. We've seen, we've seen some things. We're a bit tired. We've gone through the valleys, the shadows, the hard times, the difficult trials. We have traveled long and far, and we are tired. Now, when it comes to host, and I think of hospitality instantly, there's two outcomes. There's probably many more, but two main outcomes that happen when you host and you give hospitality. So imagine with me in this moment, if you will, or remember a memory that you experienced. You go to someone's house that you were invited to, knock on the door, door opens, and all of a sudden they're like, oh, you're here. Like, yep. Yep. Is this not the, the date and time? Yeah, come, come on in, come on in. So you come in, and you try, you find a place for your shoes somewhere. You put your jacket on what would be like a furniture piece, but it's covered in other things right there. You walk in, the table's not really set. Like, the oven is just preheating at the moment. Just preheating. It's okay. It's fine. And everyone just seems a little flustered. And you're like, did I get the wrong time? Was I supposed to be here? Um, can I help you? Can I make dinner? Like, I'll set the table for you. Like, we may have all experienced something like, like this. 
and it may have reminded you of a classic episode from The Office. If you know it, you know it. If you don't, go find it. But this type of situation can make you, as a guest, feel uncomfortable, as if to say, you were expecting me, right? This is the right day and time. It leaves you feeling a little empty inside, not thought of, not cared for, more of a nuisance here, really, than a guest. But then there's the second option. Now imagine you come to a home that you have been invited to. You are greeted at the door with a warm embrace. Jack and Sid's shoes were taken from you as you are led further into the house. The table is beautifully set, and the smell of a delicious meal is wafting through the house, and you are offered tea and coffee as the finishing touches are completed before sitting down for fellowship and eating together. That sounds pretty great, doesn't it? And if you had the option of sitting down at Liza Jordan's table or Anita and Beyonce, you get to experience the full capacity of hostess with the mostess. <laughs> but the type of experience that leaves you feeling loved, this leaves you feeling cared for, the idea that they knew you were coming, this fills you and refreshes you. There was foresight, therefore there was preparation, because there was care. The host, hostess with the mostess. It is impossible to miss or forget when you have been with a good host. You talk about it. You talk about it to your friends. You talk about it. That's not me. Maybe that's the Holy Spirit. Who knows? We're good. We're good. Moving on. But you talk about it. Did you know that back in the day, and when I mean back in the day, I mean in Bible times, but I feel like a five-year-old when I say that, so I'm just going to say back in the day, that a man's fame was not based on how much money he had, or how much land he had, or even how big his home was. A man's fame is spread by means of his table and lavish hospitality rather than his possessions, his, his, his reputation as a host. It is common for strangers and neighbors to, com to compare stories of where they have been guests and who has hosted them. Have you been to so-and-so's house? It's amazing. Oh, you have been? You have to go. They put out a huge spread, and they host us all day long. That's what the gossip mail is talking about. All the places, all the people's homes that you have been, you have met, what they've done for you, how they've treated you as a guest. Hosting was a big deal, but also the care that goes into hosting, what you provided for your guests, how you were welcoming them. And if there was an empty cup in someone's hand, because as, as a hostess with the mostest, you don't let any cup go empty. You keep filling all those because that's your job to look after and provide for your guests. In the countries of Eastern Asia and Jewish cultures, a host was not only obligated to entertain or feed their guests, but they were now held responsible to protect their guests. Once the meal of hospitality has been partaken, all the power and strength of the host became assured to the guest. He was now safe and secure. His enemies were powerless to injure him. For from this time forth, he was a guest and friend of the host and would be protected and defended by him. The idea is not of a hasty meal upon a battlefield after which the fight was to be renewed, but of a calm and secure repose at the table of the host with the assurance that all danger was past and the enemies were no longer to be regarded or feared. The job of a host is as much more than to put out your best meats and cheese and make sure the Sprite doesn't go empty. 
The job of a host is to be there for your guests, is to be a safe haven, a safe place. Here, come into my house and come under my protection. Nothing can harm you here. You are safe. You have brought, I have brought you into a comfortable place. I have nourished you. I have brought you into a home where you are now my responsibility. Whatever you come from, whatever you are carrying with you, whatever is following you, it is, has no place here in you under my protection and responsibility. And as we walk through the first few weeks in this series, we know that sheep are utterly and completely dependent on their shepherd for everything. Food, rest, protection, all of that. They, they can't do anything on their own. When you are invited over to the house, to a house of a host, you don't typically just kind of waltz in and like go into their fridge and start making your own dinner. Like you don't waltz in and make your own coffee at their coffee bar, or like set the table. Like you can, should you? Mm. I can, should I? <laughs> but we, I shouldn't just waltz in to take away the duties and responsibilities that they are prepared for, that the host is prepared for. The host is ready to host. The host had foresight, the host prepared because the host cared. Now, I love taking verse by verse and, and getting into the, the details of each one, but I also love and have the importance of reading something with a big picture mindset. And here we say, you have prepared a table for me. You have prepared a table for me. What does that say? Jesus is my host. He is our great host. Now, how can I say that so confidently here? So we go back to our first few verses in this chapter. Because when we look back at our previous verses, we see that things that he, that make him the best host, I shall not want. He has everything we need. He leads me to food and water. He restores me. He corrects me when I need it, because sometimes I do. He protects me when I don't see it. I will go through hard times, but I will not fear. Psalms 23 teaches that if we belong to Christ, we are in a world of active initiative, of strength, of leadership, protection, and it is a relationship of the very best and most secure intentional care. The very best and most secure and intentional care. The Lord Jesus takes complete and absolute responsibility for those he cares for. But it's not just that he wants to come and save us that he wants to come and serve us. He wants to lavish us with his bounty and rich provision. You see in verse one and three, we know we lack nothing. We know we have food. We know we have water. What was the reason for chapter five? Kind of just a repeat of the first couple of verses. What was the point? Our God isn't just a God that comes and meets our needs. Here's my line. Here's the needs. God, here's what I need you to fulfill. And he's like, Troop, okay. That's all you get. I met your needs. Good to go. Our first couple of verses walk us through that. We lack nothing. We have water. We have rest. We have food. But verse five, I think, is so crucial and intentional for where it's at. It's because it's communicating to us that above and beyond, our shepherd wants to bless us more than we can think or imagine. Not just enough, not just, okay, I can get through the day, like this is my manna and nothing more, and then I'm gonna get to the next day and there's gonna be more things, but we have a God that seeks and desires to bless us above and beyond. The poetic imagery is stating that our God is not one to just meet our needs and call it good. We have a King who wants to lavish us in rich bounty and provision. 
And I think Pastor Craig walked through this first, but it's so beautiful. Ephesians 3.20, it says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we seek or think according to the power that works in us. The Lord Jesus takes complete and absolute responsibility for those who are in his care. As a host who has invited a guest over takes complete and absolute responsibility of their guests when they enter their home. So now we know the job of the host. We are going to take a closer look at the tools that our host uses in this verse. In the reading and studying this out, it became very clear that many commentators and authors had vast ideas and opinions and thoughts and translations for what this verse means. Specifically, you've prepared a table for me. Oh, there were so many ideas and thoughts and contradicting each other and, and all sorts of fun things. Is it a massive banquet-sized table fit for a king? Was it made of stone? Was it made of wood? Was it little servant's table in the corner? Was it purely just skin from an animal like a rug, separating ground from the food, making it sacred? What was the meaning behind, I've prepared a table for you? Commentators can get lost in the what-ifs if they lose themselves in the speculation of details for each individual word and what the overall picture is trying to communicate. So when we look at verse 5, it says, You prepare a table for me. And we just walk through Jesus as being our great host. Then I think to look back on his life and his ministry to see the significance that is written there. Often, and I say this with great confidence, not just often, you always do that. No, often we find Jesus at a table, fellowshipping and teaching. That is most where we find him in the Bible. Often Jesus can be found at a table, teaching those around him. Jesus had moments teaching from a pulpit, on a stage, in a building, on a hilltop. Yes, of course, but when we look through the Bible, we often can find Jesus at a table, sharing a meal with others. In Luke 5, Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors at Levi's house. A place where he shouldn't and was probably judged by doing that because Jesus, you shouldn't be with people like that. What are you doing there? But Jesus chose to share a meal. In Luke 7, he dined with Pharisees. Pharisees who want to show you everything that I do because I'm so great. And Jesus, come here so you can tell me how great it is. Jesus dined with Zacchaeus in Luke 19. Many, many times he shared meals with his disciples as they were traveling from town to town and city to city, preaching and evangelizing in strangers' homes because the Lord provided that I have a place for you as you do my work, that you're going to have homes of strangers invite you in and you're going to be at a table and you're going to teach and you're going to fellowship and you're going to have communion. We find Jesus there often. And we see Jesus in the Last Supper with his disciples moment where he's telling them, communicating them what is about to happen to him. It could have been a selfish moment. He didn't have to host anything. He didn't have to say much. He could have just said, this is it. Okay, bye. He hosted a meal with his most close friends. He didn't give them a conversation. He gave them a meal. Sit down and walk through this, what I'm doing. This is my body that has been broken. This is my blood. Here's what's happening and chose to sit down and have a meal with him. He broke bread with tax collectors and sinners. He hung out with people who were distant from God. He shared meals with people whose bad reputations had spread far and wide. These meals drew the controversial opinions and judgments of a lot. But he also gathered around a table with distinguished religious leaders and Pharisees who were the legal experts of the day. 
These dinners usually included some heated conversations about the truth of kingdom of God and the condition of their hearts. He knew that a simple act of hospitality created the perfect platform for emotional, relational, spiritual transactions to take place. For Jesus, the table was a primate platform for ministry. Food was a means to an end. And the end demonstrates the goodness of God in the lives of others. Breaking bread and sharing the cup allowed Jesus to find common ground with people from all walks of life, from all socioeconomic levels, and from all spiritual conditions. Jesus used the intimacy of his shared meal to express truth and grace, grace, and he used the ordinary of a table to impart his extraordinary love and care. The significant, let me try that again. The significance of a table being prepared for us in Psalms 23 is seen in the groundwork that Jesus laid out in his whole ministry. Sharing a meal brings people together. Sharing a meal breaks down barriers and walls. Sharing a meal allows for connection and fellowship. Yes, Jesus taught to the thousands. He taught from hilltops. He taught in amphitheaters. He taught to so many people, but he remembered. He remembered the ministry of the table of having fellowship one-on-one with someone and the impact that that can make. The common ground that that can happen when you sit with Jesus and you have a conversation. In this fast-paced, tech-saturated, attention-deficit-disorder culture in which we find ourselves, Christians need to recover the art of a slow meal around a table with people we care about. It's called table fellowship. Table fellowship doesn't often make the list of the classical spiritual disciplines, but in the midst of a world that increasingly seems to have lost its way with regard to matters of both food and the soul, Christian spirituality has something important to say about the way that sharing table nourishes us both physically and spiritually. We need a recovery of the spiritual significance of what we eat, where we eat, and with whom we eat. It's not the purpose of today, but I have a question that maybe you'll put in in your mind for later, but who are you inviting to your table? Who are you allowing to have that communion, that fellowship, that pause in life? Who are you inviting to your table? And Pastor Daniel says this lots, especially when around, uh, when we're talking about our plus one series, normally around Easter, says, perhaps before we invite someone to church, we invite them to our table for a meal. Before we overwhelm with everything, maybe we do like Jesus did and sit down and share a meal together. So we know who our great host is, and we know that his table, the table he prepared for us, we know the significance of that. Now we're going to jump into the fun phrase. And if you're like me, all going through, I kind of skipped over this part in the presence of my enemies because I'm like, um, Jesus, like, really? I'm just going to sit and eat a meal in front of all the people that don't like me. That doesn't sound fun. So I skipped over that. I didn't really think about it. I didn't want to ponder it. I wanted to avoid it because I was afraid it was actually saying what it was saying and wasn't for that. The phrase, in the presence of my enemies. Now, it's definitely fair to say that times are different now than they were back then when the psalm was written because it was very common to have enemies that wanted to flat out kill you. And I don't know your background, I don't know your story, and maybe that's being, maybe that's assuming much. But nowadays you may be thinking, I don't have people that I don't, like really don't like. 
Like maybe there's a few. It's not like hostile. It's not like an enemy. That seems super aggressive. How is this passage related to me in this day and age? What does this mean? What is my enemy? Let's define that. And like I found out in reading about the table and the significance of that, many people had thoughts and opinions about what in the presence of my enemy meant. So many opinions contradicting each other, talking over each other. It was a lot. And some, one way we can look at it is, oh, is it, is it more like a spiritual attack? Like we referenced in Ephesians 6, 12, where it says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly place. Is that, is that what we're kind of talking about? Is this referencing people that we, that we don't like or that don't like us? Is this just an overall picture of the wickedness that's in the world? We could go many different ways in this phrase and how to apply it today. But when we look at Psalm 23, it is evident that the sheep, us, do not do anything to earn what is given to us from the shepherd. I do not and I cannot earn the green pastures or the still waters, or the restoration of my soul, or the comfort and protection of the king's shepherd. I have not earned it, and I cannot earn it. This is a display of all that Jesus is, that he is everything, that we lack nothing, and he wants to restore us and lavish us with his blessing. And one commentator said this, and it shifted my whole perspective and made it super personable for me. So when Jesus welcomes us, he has displayed his complete and total sufficiency for all our needs, and his lavish love for the most wayward prodigal and most vile outcast. His enemies are not defined as people who have done bad things, and his friends are not defined as those who have done good things. No, his enemies are those who cannot bear the fact that he eats with people who have done bad things. That's me. That's you. His enemies are not defined by people who have done bad things. And his friends are not the people that are being defined by good things. People that may say things are like, well, you don't belong there. Like, that you have a place at the table? I don't think so. People all around that say, that doesn't seem right that you are sitting with him at his table. Mm, I don't know about that. But it can go beyond from people and go into the lies that we hear in our head. It can be people tearing you down. It can be voices in your head of fear, guilt, shame, condemnation, saying you don't have a place. You don't deserve it. And it could be that Satan has your number and he's just trying to keep you away from the table. But this brought it into perspective for me that there are things in my life, there are things in your life that are drastically trying to prevent us from feeling like we have a seat at the table. And maybe we can't see it. Maybe it's just happening around us and it's not, not a forefront in us, but there are things that are actively trying to convince us, no, you don't have a place there. When Jesus said this, he didn't actually mean you. And we start to believe that, oh, Jesus didn't mean me. He said it to other people because they deserve it. Because they, but I've done things. Like I'm not the person I've always been today. I've been a different person. Or if I've, I've gone through things. I've seen things. I've said things. He didn't mean me when he said that, that I've prepared a table for you. I did not and I cannot earn the provision that my shepherd has provided for me. 
I did not come to him as a whole and perfect person. I come before him as a broken, tired, hungry, and burnt out sheep. And yet he still provides, he still protects, and he still lavishes us with blessing. Has anyone said to you that you have a seat at the table? That not just a general thing that as, as followers of Christ, that you have a seat at the table, but has anyone looked into your eyes and said, you have a seat at the table. Jesus made the reservation. It has your name on it. No one can take that from you. There might be people in the room today that when you heard these personal words, you prepared a table for me, that you automatically disqualified yourself from the group. But I'm here to tell you it was a personal invite to you from Jesus. He has called your name. He has a reservation for you. And in that quote, it says, he has displayed his complete and total sufficiency for all our needs, his lavish love for the most wayward prodigal, and most vile outcasts. Jesus writes the guest list, not you, not me, not the world. No one can take that from you. They can try their best to distract. They can try their best to, to delay. They can try their best, but you are invited. You have a seat at the table. There's a story in Luke 7 describes the situation where Jesus was invited to a Pharisee's house to eat, and then an unwanted guest comes up. The woman who had a sinner, who was a sinner, came and washed Jesus' feet with her tears, dried them with her hair, anointed them with the finest oil. The Pharisees could not help, could not help themselves but point out to Jesus. Do you know who she is? Do you know what she's done? And you allow her to come in here, wash your feet, anoint your feet, worship you? Do you know who she is? It's not that they had done bad things, but they were upset that there was someone who had done bad things that was in the presence of Jesus. It didn't seem fair. They wanted to point it out. It's not always going to be people. Sometimes it's upbringing. Sometimes it's the voices that we deal with. Sometimes it's the lies of the enemy that start to pile up and pile up in our, in our head, convincing us Jesus didn't mean you when he said that. Jesus didn't mean you when he said, I prepared a table for you, that I anoint your head with oil, and that your cup runs over. He didn't mean you. Because you've done things. Because who are you? But Jesus says this, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven for she loved much. But to whom little is given, the same love, the same loves little. I can't earn it. You can't earn it. We're not supposed to earn it. But there are things around us that are saying, you haven't, therefore you don't have a place at the table. There will be those that are furious that you are with Jesus. There will be thoughts and lies that try to keep us from the table and maybe expose that we are sin sinners in order to keep us from the table. 
But when we are invited to the table of the great host in his house, we come under his protection. I have a safe place for you. What you fear, what you carry, what's following you has no place here. You are in my protection, and I take full responsibility for your care and for your safety. I have a seat for you at the table with me. So then we go move on into the next aspect of the verse, the oil and the cup. You will anoint my head with oil. The description of this is beautiful. As the translation in this verse is not the same as when a king or a priest are anointed. It's not just a blessing for that moment. It's a blessing in the season of restoration and preparation. You see how I started this is by reading the whole chapter because I don't think we can just narrow in on one part of it because it's all connected. Because we see, I prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. I anoint your head with oil. Your cup runs over. Do you know what happens after that? He's preparing us for a new season. He knows what you've gone through. Previously, I, I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. He knows the circumstances that you've walked through because he walked through them with you. But we had to walk through something. We had to travel for something. We had to walk through hard things that maybe made us tired, made us exhausted, took all our, our like energy out, took all our momentum out. God, I don't have anything left, but you've said you will be with us. And so I kept walking through the hard seas. And he says, come into my house. I have prepared a table for you. I have prepared things for you to restore you to bring you whole, and also to prepare you. To prepare you for the next season. When a shepherd watches his sheep, he uses his staff periodically to look through the sheep's wool, look for bugs or infections or scabs. Just there, just there periodically, finds a sheep and does it. Sometimes the sheep are irritated, like, what are you doing? Sometimes the sheep are like, a little frightened, like I saw you hit that wolf over there and I'm just cautious of what you're going to do to me. Periodically, they look through their sheep to make sure there's no infections. And Pastor Daniel referenced this when he was talking about how stupid sheep are, is that they have insects and pests that crawl up inside their heads and they go crazy and run into things which kill them. When a shepherd sees that a sheep has an infection or has been overwhelmed with insects, he takes a combination of olive oil and linseed oil. This combination is a natural repellent to the bugs and parasites that crawl on and into a sheep. The oil will also heal any wound or ailment that the sheep is suffering from. So a shepherd, a shepherd will cover his sheep with this oil so that it repels anything that would try and destroy the sheep. The shepherd will always start with the head of a sheep that is his most vulnerable. That's what's referenced here when it says, I will anoint your head with oil. He knows the things we've gone through, the trials, the tribulations, sometimes the wounds that we still carry with us. He sees and he says, I will renew you. I will heal you. I will protect because the head is the first thing that the shepherd protects when he's covering his sheep with oil is because this is the most vulnerable because this is where the lies of the enemy will try to creep in, will try to lay, will try to fester, will try to make a home here to convince you of all the things that Jesus has laid out for us. Try to convince us that we don't have a place. 
I don't have a place at the table. Who, who are you? The lies will creep in. Who are you? You've done things. You've said things. Like you think you're someone here? Really? But it's so significant that the shepherd anoints the sheep from the top of the head to the bottom because it's the most vulnerable. Because we listen to the voices. We hear the lies. We see the people around us to sometimes point at and say, who are you? You don't belong here. You don't deserve that. And it could be innocent. It could be very intentional. Whatever the case is, there are things that are trying to separate us from believing that we have a seat at the table. You have a seat at the table. I anoint your head with oil, and the lies of the enemy have no place here. Jesus comes to anoint us, to heal our past wounds, to protect us from the things that are trying to get inside, and to restore us for what is next to come. And I can't talk about it because we have some really phenomenal speakers that are going to close off this series next week. But do you know what he is preparing you for? That I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I know everything you've been through. And I ask, come into my house because I've prepared a place, a safe place for you to restore you, to fulfill you, to prepare you for what's to come. I have a seat for you. Perhaps you've been scared to draw close to the Lord because you think the shepherd's rod is punishment. It isn't. The rod is used to look inside those inner places that others don't see. Places that you can't even see yourself. So that the good shepherd with his oil can heal and restore and always prevent those outside, outside influences that are coming against your health and your wholeness. He is our great host. And he walks us through, I am there for you, you lack nothing. I lead you to rest because I know you need it and I need you to have strength in order to do what I've asked you to do. And sometimes that's a little nudge. No, you will rest. I know I've heard that from him before. No, you need to stop doing what you're doing. I'm asking you to rest. Why? Because there's things ahead of you that I need you to do and I need you to come out of it out of abundance and blessing and not out of exhaustion and burnout. What you go through, yes, you will go through because no one ever promises that this walk with Jesus, that following Jesus, that choosing to do that means all the worries, all the cares, all the circumstances, all the hard things that you will never have to go through. That's not the promise here. And sometimes that's perspective. God, would you just take me out of the situation? God, I don't want to be here. Just, just take me out of the situation. God says, if you don't go through it, you won't learn to lean on me. Because I walk you through the whole thing. I see you. I know where you've come from. I know your travels. I know your exhaustion. I know you're burnt out. I know you're hungry. I know you're tired. I know all of these things. So I've gone ahead for you. And I've made a place. Sheep love to eat at very specific places. And a very specific place is called a plateau. It's on top of a hilltop. It's exposed like any 
any predator, anything can get them. But is there like, it's their favorite place. It's like, I want to eat there. It's like your favorite restaurant. You're like, mm, I would like to go there. I would like to go to Cactus. I would like to get lettuce wraps. That is where I would like to be. Shepherd, that is my wish, okay? Make it happen. Sheep love to eat there. But it's almost one of the most dangerous places that they can be because there's so much exposure. There's so much, um, even when it comes down to the bushes that can irritate them and cause them rashes. There's so much insects. There's wolves, there's bears, there's everything. So when the shepherd knows, okay, I'm going to take my sheep there, he goes ahead of them. And he looks through all the places. He weeds out all the bushes that are going to cause things. He tries to get rid of all the insects as much as possible. He runs off all the wolves, all the bears. He prepares a place so that his sheep can come in and be at peace and they can feed. The shepherd knows that this is such a special place for the sheep that he will go ahead and prepare a way for them. Jesus wants to lavishly and profoundly bless us, not just what we need, not just the bare minimum, the things that you think he doesn't know, the dreams that you have inside, the ideas, whatever it is that you're like, hey, I can't vocalize it because that seems silly. Everything that you have inside, Jesus knows about it and he comes and he says, I want to bless you abundantly forever. Perhaps you are too scared to draw close to the Lord because you think the shepherd's rod is to punish. But he sees the things that maybe we can't see that need that oil, that need that healing, that need that restoration, that need that anointing of a next step of a new season. You have more than you could ever need. And this walks us into our last portion of my cup runs over. Nalina, if you want to jump on the keys. Jesus doesn't just come and meet our needs, the very line, and call it good. He is a Lord that wants to bless above and beyond. And again, that verse in Ephesians says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. No deeper meaning here than he just wants to bless us abundantly. What do I have to do for it? You have to do nothing. Well, how do we get there? You follow him. What are the directions? Like, where, where do we go? I've been here. Like, is it a hilltop? What it? You follow him. You follow his voice. Because the cool thing about sheep and my dad thing told me this, so it's got to be real. It's got to be factual, you know? There can be many shepherd voices, but they do not waver when they hear another shepherd's voice. They know the sound of their shepherd's voice. And that's not a metaphor. That is how they were designed. They were designed to know the voice of the one that protects them, of the one that leads them of the one that provides everything for them. There are things that are trying to tell you you don't have a seat at the table. There are things that are trying to convince you that our shepherd 
doesn't care about you, that he isn't going out to the best restaurant because he knows Daniel loves an elk steak and he's going to get that for him for his table. Or that Kelsey's going to be full of ice cream. He knows. He knows the things that are going to be a blessing to you above and beyond. He says, follow me. How do I get there? You follow my voice. And in this day and age, there are so many things against us. There's fears, there's anxieties, there's how it was raised, there's upbringing, there's relationships, there's lies, there's the enemy. There's so many things that are against us. How do I handle all that? How do I define what's my enemy? How do, how do I combat that? What is my plan? You listen to the voice of the Lord and he will guide you through the trials, the tribulations. He will not leave you. He does not say, you start here and I'm going to be here and you just have to make way way like the X is the spot. He says, I will walk you through. I will walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but you are with me and I will not fear. God is even more than a shepherd who provides for the wants of his sheep. He is a king who lavishes his bounty in rich provision for his guests. And all of this is preparing us for something beautiful. And that's how Psalms 23, and that's how it ends. It's preparing us to be in the house of the Lord forever. As we went from shepherd to sheep, to guide to follower, now we come here as tired travelers who have gone through the valleys and the dark places. And Jesus is saying, come into my house. I have prepared a place for you, a place to heal, a place to refresh, to nourish you and to give you above and beyond. John 10 is such a beautiful scripture and we focus on, you know, John 10, 10, but as I expanded it and looked at both sides of that, it basically sums up what my heart was for today. It says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. Not me, him. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who has not, he who is not the shepherd, the one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolves coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and I am known by them. Go to look at the whole chapter. It displays everything that Jesus comes to us. It displays who he is, but it displays what he's doing for us. He knows we're sheep. He knows we can't do it on our own. He knows we try. He knows we really try sometimes. I got this. I can do it on my own strength. But he is patient and he is kind. He says, with you, you lack nothing when you're with me. I'm going to make you rest so that you are strong to go do the work that I've called you to do. I'm going to provide for you the food and water that you need. 
you're going to go through some seasons. Everyone's going to have different seasons. It's not going to look the same. Some people have different trials and everything. And you're like, what, what are they going through? I could go through that. Why did you give me this? He knows every single situation and he's bringing you through it. Because through our seasons, through our trials, we learn things more about him and we draw closer. Commentary said, the darker the season, the closer you are to the Holy Spirit. Why? Because I need to hear your voice in order to walk through this situation. I need to be able to hear you and know it's your voice and not lies, not anything, not shame, not guilt, not nothing that's convincing me. No, you're going to go this way because that's what you deserve. No, you're going to go this way to a place that Jesus prepared for you. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. And I am known by my sheep. And my heart for this message was just that you wouldn't understand that there's a seat specifically for you at the table. That Jesus would be able to break through into your heart, take away all the noise, take away all the things, take away all the busy, take away everything. And the beautiful image of slowing down in life, taking a seat at the table, enjoying communion and fellowship with friends, that's wonderful. But Jesus did that and he has a seat for you to come and sit for you to come and sit with him so that he can anoint you, that he can refresh you, that he can make you ready for the next season that he has for you. You have a seat at the table. You may not know it, but it's prepared for you. It's reserved. It has your name on it. It's just for you. No one else can take it. Some people try to camouflage it. It's still there. Some people say it's not, a, it's not an actual chair. It's still there. Jesus is consistent yesterday, today, and forever. I've prepared a place for you. And I don't even know how to properly end this because it was supposed to be a little more chipper, but I guess the heart of this was just a true encouragement as we walk through Psalms 23 that Jesus so wants to lavish us with abundance and blessing not just meet a need, but go above and beyond. That he truly loves us, that he truly wants to reveal his goodness, his graciousness, his love upon us. And what better way to do that than to host you at a magnificent feast that's made just for you. Put off your feet on the stool. Here's a hot coffee. Be with me, have a moment with me as I prepare you for the next season where we get to do this in my house forever. And so Jesus, I'll just pray. Father God, that you, like just a warm blanket, God, the comfort that you are here and evident. And we felt that through worship this morning that your presence was so thick, but God, then I'm asking you to come and just reveal, reveal to every single person that this isn't just a generic, I have prepared a table for you, a generic to all believers, but it is specific to every single person. That he calls everyone out by name. That he sees you. He's calling you out by name, saying, I have a place for you. Come into my home. Come under my protection. My goal is to revive you, to nourish you, to refresh you, to prepare you for the next season. But as you come closer to me, you learn more about me and who I am as the good shepherd. 
God, that you would encourage where there is encouragement needed. God, that you would drive out lies and fears and everything where it needs to be driven out so that you can come in and invade that space. That we would walk differently out these doors knowing that you've prepared so much for us above and beyond. God, that we're so thankful that we have something like this, a chapter where it just perfectly describes our lack, but your abundant, abundantness in every single situation. God, that you would make a way, you would have a way. In Jesus' name.